Welcome to season two of Ben the Podcast. We appreciate you being part of this conversation. I'm Deb. And I'm Lillian. And we have occasional contributions from Leo the Retriever. Yeah, see if you can spot him in our episodes this season. <laughs> Hopefully this season will challenge your beliefs, spark creativity, and disrupt what it means to be well. We're coming to you from the traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin Anishinaabe. Enjoy today's episode and thanks for listening. Hi everyone, welcome to Ben the Podcast. This is the season finale for season two. We've really appreciated the support through these conversations. Um, your listenership means everything to us. Today we're talking to a couple of folks who are co-owners of a, a business called Mighty Valley Coffee Roasters in the Smith Falls area. Jared Lee is one part of this this partnership, and he is a yoga teacher and a coffee roaster. Dr. Josie Whitmer is a research program coordinator at the University of Guelph, and she is an instructor in the Geography and Environmental Studies program at Carleton University. We're really happy to have have you both here and have a conversation about coffee and your business and each of you. So welcome. Welcome to the conversation. Our pleasure. Thanks a lot for having us. Yeah, welcome. Um, how are you each doing today? It's kind of a rainy, gray day in eastern Ontario. How how are each of you today? Uh, I, I'm doing pretty good. You know, started off with a little espresso um, and, and we had a meeting and before that did a little bit of breathing exercise uh, that I do regularly as well to get my head right for the day. So feeling pretty good. It was a nice start to the morning. We had uh, a meeting with the, the RISE Yoga Fest committee, uh, the organizing mm -hmm. committee in Smith Falls. And so it's a nice, uh, in these days of being in lockdown, uh, it's nice to get together with uh, some friends and colleagues and, and chat. And so it's, it's, it's fun to have two back-to-back -back meetings to talk about mm -hmm. wellness. Awesome. So you guys are already in headspace. You're, you're there. You started before us this morning, which is kind of cool. Um, I didn't <laughs> say in the intro that you guys are based in Smith Falls, but how about, um, and whoever wants to jump in, can you tell, you know, we have listeners from all over Canada and beyond. Tell us a little bit about your company, company and its evolution. It's fairly new as far as I understand. Yeah, I'll, I'll just give you a little brief overview about Mighty Valley Coffee. So Josie and I uh, were traveling and tree planting and, uh, and pursuing academic studies for many years. And um, we came to a point where we wanted to stop tree planting. And uh, Josie was getting close to finishing her doctorate. And so we decided to move back to Smith Falls. And so me as a yoga teacher, I just finished a degree in India uh, in yoga studies at the Lakulish Yoga University. And so I wanted to teach some yoga. Um, and so I started doing that. But then at the same time, I also saw that, that there wasn't as much freshly roasted coffee around here. Uh, and so that was something that I thought I could sink my teeth into and, um, and explore. And we really love coffee because I mean, it's great, great tasting and it, for, for what it does the mind in the morning it's pretty cool but then also it's about right livelihood and we felt like this was an industry that in the past a lot of people had been exploited and that it wasn't as fair as it should be and it's something that we could 
um, you know, do our part in, uh, in trying to change uh, that, that commodity chain and uh, change the system a bit, or, or at least put in good work. So that was something that kind of led us to the coffee is the love of coffee and, and the idea that we could maybe make some change around here um, because we have, you know, coffee, Canadians drink more coffee than anyone in the world. Uh, there's a stat that I read. Oh, wow. so, but so much of our coffee comes from, you know, Tim Hortons and Starbucks, these commodity coffees that say they're really ethical. Um, and maybe they're shifting toward that now, but those are the same companies that really put a lot of people in tough conditions over the years. So we were trying to create a product that people can be uh, excited about and that people can you know, know that it is, you know, people who are, who are creating this coffee, they're doing it artisanally, small batches, and also with respect for the farmers and for the people who are the washing stations, the people who ship the coffee, you know, that the whole line and coffee is something where you can trace that commodity chain and, and create something that's ethical and special. So that really, that drove us into the coffee. I heard you say right livelihood. That's a, that's mm -hmm. a, yeah. Can you, and, and commodity of, you know, commodity coffee, you know, there yeah. are probably people thinking, what does that mean? Can you, can you dig into those yeah, concepts well, a little bit? I guess, so right livelihood, that's a, that's a Buddhist term. Um, and part mm -hmm. of the eightfold path in the uh, Buddhism. And so, you know, this path lays out the way to, to be enlightened, you know, uh, and there's different ways people look like what is enlightenment and all that. That's a whole different thing. But mm -hmm. the idea that you can take pride in what you do and that also what you're doing isn't taking away from other people. Uh, I think that's really important and uh, putting mm -hmm. in good work so if you're taking and not giving back or you're taking more than you're giving back, then that's inherently wrong. You know, the world, mm. like the natural order of things just doesn't work that way. And it's intuitive and it, and it makes sense. And mm -hmm. I think in the system that we live in now, Josie can talk a little more about this. She's mm -hmm. got the, uh, the vocabulary for it, but you know, I think we need to take uh, that intention of, of doing good stuff and, and, and not just passing the buck. And then, in terms of commodity coffee, so there's two different types of coffee, specialty coffee and commodity coffee. And commodity coffee is mm. traded on the stock exchange. And so those coffees, um, the farmers, they're not as, um, they're not looking for quality as much with commodity coffee. They're looking for volume. And so the coffee that you get that has no origin on it uh, and no certifications, and it's, uh, it's very cheap and the great, the, the quality is lower. Uh, so that's commodity coffee and then specialty coffee is rising. So that's, it's a little bit more. And to be a specialty coffee, it has to have a certain uh, characteristic to it. And it has to have a, a certain cupping score as well. So there are certain people who grade coffees. And so for a specialty coffee, it has to meet a certain level. And so kind of the nice thing about coffee is when it tastes really, really good, then you know that the whole process has to be good from uh, the organic farming, you know, the washing station and how the beans are, are processed, you know, all that stuff. So when the farmers have the opportunity to sell their beans for a little bit more, they can make more money and, um, mm. and then the beans taste better. So mm. it's just kind of like, you know, just raising up the system and trying to, uh, to move it away from that, that commodity. So there, that's, that's mm -hmm. the main thing is the 
do specialty mm -hmm. and commodity coffees. And so we only buy specialty coffee. Yeah, and Thank if I, for... I would just add to there's um there's also an environmental element to that as well. It's I mean it is about uh, labor and and farmers, um, but it's also about how commodity coffee um, production chains can be very degrading to local environmental systems in the global south because we're we're consuming coffee mostly in the global north, and this is a bean like the roasting process is really only a small you know, 10 to 15 minute process that happens right at the end of, of this like big commodity chain. But there's a lot of steps like from, from the seed to the cup that uh, mostly take place in distant places in the global South and rely upon environments and people. And so, yeah, like part of our, part of our approach is um, making sure that those, those processes are equitable and that they are uh, promoting, promoting wellness in places other than here. I'm writing all this down as you talk. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating. Um, <laughs> I think, I think peripherally, I, I know some of this, but there's lots of it. I don't know. And I'm sure lots of our listeners have no idea. Right. Cause as you say, Jared, maybe we drink a lot of coffee, but maybe as Canadians, it comes from you know, places where those kind of practices aren't in place and people don't even think about that. Right. They don't think about, um, the politics or the, the environmental aspect or, you know, the person, the people growing the coffee and, and what, how maybe they're exploited or. Absolutely. And also we just have to say too, it, like we have these unconscious biases and, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person. If you've been drinking oh, like instant coffee, you know, that's not like I've done it before, but you know, if we can make conscious choices and, and, and we can do that, then that's great. You know, if we can make choices with our wallet to, to, create a system that's more equitable for everybody, then, then let's do it. But, um, you know, I just, I don't want to be wagging my finger at people saying you need to only drink my coffee because <laughs> coffee is, is ethical. There's lots of great roasters out there and lots of great people doing stuff. Um, but you know, yeah. I, it, it's a shift that we've been moving toward for, for many years and it's going to be slow, I think. Um, but you know, we do want to, we want to build a system that works for everybody and that we can be all be proud of um, because right now I'm not proud of the, the system that we live in. You know, I'm proud of, mm -hmm. and I, I love, and I, and I'm a great opportunity and I have, uh, you know, so much privilege, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, we have a lot of work to do. There's so much disconnect sometimes between consumer and product. Right. And I think it's so important that there are, people like you, you know, doing the work, doing the research and creating these more um, conscious, environmentally conscious, socially conscious products um, and doing the um, like just community education around why that's important, right? Because like you said, we don't, some people, we don't, don't even think about it, right? You walk down the aisle at the grocery store, you see the coffee that's on sale, you pick it up and that's it. There's no yeah. more thought given to that, right? And, and and honestly, a lot of people have stuff to worry about. Like they got a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And so one thing that Josie and I also believe is that it's not up to the consumer themselves mm -hmm. to do that. It's on the producers. It's on the big corporations and the small guys like us. Like our packaging is omnidegradable and it's a step in the right direction. You know, it's not perfect yet, but you know, it it degrades in landfills a lot faster than plastic stuff. So like a little thing like that, and we pay just a little bit more, you know, 50, 60 cents per uh, bag more, but 
you know, it's, it's like, if we did that on a large scale, then it would make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think in terms of the, the consumer, the consumer piece, this is something that we've kind of promoted a little bit, or we're starting to promote on our social media is that we see a lot of these issues with, with waste and commodity chains and, and ethics in coffee as being like a, a broader structural issue. Like we don't like to some extent, yes, we like vote with our wallets as consumers, but I, I firmly believe that the capitalist system in which we live, uh, the, the economic system in which we live um, intentionally makes those systems invisible. Like they don't show you the ways that products are produced and there's lab the labels are intentionally obscure. Um, even when you see ads these days for coffee from big corporations that say like it's 100% ethical, like we don't know, you don't know what that means. Like what, uh, it just says it's ethical and we take their word for it. And because people, especially during COVID, when you're home with your kids trying to do school and working full time, we don't have time to like look into the details and do do a bunch of uh, research about like what all these uh, you know certifications or or processes are. We have to kind of take companies' words for it, and so that's something that we in our business are intentionally trying to disrupt and make very visible and clear to to people that are buying our coffee because. That is one of the big failings of the capitalist system is that the, um, the this intentional uh, invisibilizing, is that a word? <laughs> making so. the intentional making invisible of information about products and the, the environmental and social harms that they cause. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really great points. I think that we place a lot of trust in companies, don't we? And, and I think that combined with, as you're saying, Lots of people are just really tired and they, you know, they need to be able to trust what the label tells them because they just don't have the energy or the time. So they might be trying to make a conscious choice and it might not be entirely correct because they don't have all the information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like with waste, you know, trying to make decisions about recycling or compostable or just normal packaging and yeah, again, like we don't, we are willing to absorb that cost as a company to choose better packaging that's compostable because ultimately the recyclables, even if, even if they do get recycled, which coffee packaging, it doesn't really recycle well, um, it'll still end up, you know, later way down the line as microplastics in the ocean. So as a company, we are choosing that to not even make that an option to, to have, mm -hmm. to have plastics. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, something about companies choosing to do things right from the get-go rather than making customers or consumers make choices that are difficult. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't want plastic in the ocean, then don't use plastic, use something else. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of our, our approach mm -hmm. is like, we're not blaming consumers and making you make decisions. It's, mm -hmm. we're going to take that burden on ourselves because we're creating a product. And I really, really appreciate that. I've been thinking a lot myself recently about my own consumption and the waste that I generate or what I consume. And the last time I went to the grocery store, I did my very best to not purchase plastic um, packaging. It's, it's really hard to go into a regular grocery store and mm -hmm. to come home with everything that you need or everything that you wanted and to not come home with some sort of plastic or unrecyclable item. Um, and, you know, I think to your point, like the blame in 
when we look in the media at all the talk around um, fighting climate change, helping our environment, a lot of it is um, uh, geared towards the individual, right? Like we need to make better choices as individuals. Don't accept the straw at the restaurant, you know, don't use yes. your plastic cutlery. Um, but like you're saying, like we need the creators of these products to make those changes so that we can make those choices. Right. And I exactly. think that's such an important piece to think about when we're thinking about moving forward um, in our fight for the environment. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the biggest shifts or one of the big shifts in the um, sort of I don't want to get I don't want to get too far into this, but in the shift towards like the neoliberal political economic system that we live in, um, one of the biggest things was taking like moving away from social supports and and community like welfare sort of programs and stuff towards like individual like you as a citizen are responsible for your individual uh, well being and your individual consumption and so that shift towards the individual, the individualization it's called uh, of responsibility um, is, is a, uh, th that's a big component of neoliberal capitalism. And so that's, again, we're just trying to disrupt these, these like ways of, of being that are sort of kind of commonly accepted in our society and that people are just exhausted. And so like, why, why make things harder? Let's make it easier to, to be ethical in our everyday lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, so important and such an important, um, you know, um, something so important to foreground as you as you develop and and grow this business, right? Um, as as we're talking, I keep thinking in the background. Okay, you know, so you're transitioning from tree planting, and you're thinking about, you know, you're finishing up academics, and you're thinking about, you know, the options. How how does coffee become the choice? I can't imagine. I'm sure there's tons to learn. So tell tell us about yeah. that story. I think that's an important piece of your company. I I, I think part of it was passion, and uh, mm -hmm. sometimes you know, for me anyway, when throughout my life, when there's something that I'm interested in, there are certain things that just kind of like take me, and I really like dive into them. And yoga was one of them. Coffee is one of them. Basketball is another. Big Raptors fan. Mm -hmm. um, but you know there's other things that just don't take me as as much uh so i just i was really inspired by it so i just kept going and i had a humble beginnings as well i just uh, i started frying coffee in my cast iron pan <laughs> and then it tasted pretty good so i bought a popcorn maker and uh and then roasted it up with that because it's a it's a uh convection type oven or you know heat and so it, it evenly uh, cooks the beans and that was pretty good until my popcorn machine started to melt um because <laughs> you're not supposed to um you know cook coffee beans or bake coffee beans in a, in a popcorn maker so I, I bought a little roaster uh that's like a little microwave oven it's a drum roaster and and then just started trying different beans from all around the world and i just i loved it and and then i started to give it to my friends and they enjoyed it as well but I think one of the aha moments for me was that I had never actually tasted fresh coffee before. <laughs> and so it wasn't until I was like in my mid thirties that I had a, like a, a, a cup of coffee that had been freshly roasted like two days after, you know, and mm -hmm. it's very tangible at what that coffee mm -hmm. tastes like. And I was like, wow, I think more people should be 
should be drinking this and how can I get more people to have this nice experience as well so I guess I just kind of I'm also a person who who follows the serendipitous signs and I just kind of felt like it was it was the right opportunity and uh you know so so I just jumped in and then I have to also thank my partner Josie who supported me in in doing you know working with the coffee business from you know having no experience with it but you know, I did have a little experience in the coffee industry when I was younger in, in Australia, uh, working as a barista and, you know, just traveling around the world and trying different styles of coffee. So I always loved coffee, but, you know, once we moved back to Smith Falls and uh, it was our first house we had, we kind of really dove into that and bought a nice coffee maker. And then, you know, yeah, I was going to say, I think when we bought, when we bought the coffee maker, when we, when we bought our house and we decided to treat ourselves to like a really nice coffee setup and a good grinder, um, then that was sort of the beginning, the beginning of the coffee, uh, the coffee business, because that was when it was like trying to find a good fresh coffee to, to roast or to use in our, in our, in our new setup. And then Jared started roasting coffee beans in his pan. And then from there, it kind of, mm -hmm. then we started sharing our coffee with other people and they really liked it. And so that's, that was the beginning. I think when we bought the house and got the nice coffee maker and then went on a quest for the best bean and mm -hmm. found that we've got the best bean by doing it ourselves um this is where we've ended up and yeah. also like thinking about coffee as like in terms of all these principles that have to do with uh like the research and work that i do in, ac in academics is like oh this is actually something that we can really think about and and do and make some changes and, and do so it was a it was a way that we could uh use our sort of philosophy and ethics and approach to our our life our lives in our business mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. I love that because often people aren't, uh, they're not, it's not their ethics that are driving them as entrepreneurs. Sometimes, sometimes they, it, it is, but often that um, is maybe a, a point of contention in terms of business and their, their own ethics sometimes. And so I love to hear that you, your ethics were kind of front and center as you, as you dove into this. Very cool. Yeah. That's the, that was the yoga and, uh, and Buddhist studies yeah. coming out because I, yeah. Just don't want to have a job uh, where I don't want to go to. I want to have a job that you know I can be proud of and that that I enjoy. And so for me, that's that's the the only way. Uh, <laughs> so, and I didn't have a, a lot of uh, transferable skills from tree planting, and uh, yeah, and yoga is good, but it. it I disagree. It, I think you had skills. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say anybody listening who's ever tree planted would say, would argue otherwise, I'm sure. And my friends who have tree planted. Yeah. I, I see there. Yeah. If you can tree plant, I think you can do anything. personally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jared, Jared yeah. ran a, a crew of tree planters for like eight years. So you wow. definitely have management skills and you can, you can, yeah. uh, I've, I planted roughly a million trees too. Uh, a million trees. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that's not like, I've got some friends who are probably closer to two, uh, but uh, wow. yeah. Yeah, between Josie and I, we're definitely around two million. I think uh -huh. our friends who emceed our wedding a few years ago put together—they were also tree planters—and they put together an estimate that we were we Jared and I as a couple have been responsible for it was like forty-five million trees or something in northern BC and <gasps> <in> Ontario. <sighs> Just because wow. we plant, we both planted, and then we also um, we we planted for well, we were involved in planting for what thirteen years, and so. Uh, yeah, and so like that we both ran crews, and then I managed uh, a camp. So we had a, 
Yeah, we had our hand in about 40, 40 something million trees approximately. Oh. Pretty cool. And we've lived together in a tent for over three years. Cumulative <laughs> <laughs> time. You put all the months together. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Also, many transferable skills there, right? Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when your relationship hits a rough patch, yeah, you just remember that. Yeah, that's no yeah. joke either. <laughs> funny. <laughs> wow. I just want to say thank you for planting all those trees. My lungs, thank you. My kids, thank you. Wow. That's, that's, um, that's a pretty cool legacy. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And, and, a, and a cool perspective to bring into this work. Um, ah, this is, I'm really enjoying this conversation. This is really interesting. Um, so you move, you, you move at some point, you decide, you know, you're roasting with this in your own house with your small roaster. When do you guys decide to take it, take it up? a step and, you know, buy a huge roaster and, and kind of start this company. Uh, I think it, w- it was a farm uh, tour. Uh, yeah, we we're doing a, a farm tour, uh, at our friend's, um, farm. Milk house dairy. Milk house dairy. Yeah. And great cheese. Shout out. Um, <laughs> and everyone really enjoyed it. And so so we, well, the farm I, tour, sorry, Jared, the farm tour is like they have um, our friends, Kate and Kyle White, who run Milk, Milk House Dairy in Smith Falls. They open up their farm every fall for people to come through and like see the sheep and, and see the see the property and the land. And uh, they have some some vendors. So like Almanac Grain was there and uh, Karen from of Field and Forest in Merrickville was there. Bluegrass Farms, I think Leela was there as well. So we had a bunch of vendors and Kate was like do you want to sell some coffee and so Jared kind of like roasted up a bunch of coffee on his little drum roaster at home just to see if people would be interested in coffee it was sort of like the the experiment like we didn't have a business name we just had a sign that said coffee and we were (laughs) serving up some shots of espresso and uh selling some bags of coffee and people were really excited and so I think that was like the the origin was like this could maybe work as a actual business I don't know, Jared, if you want to continue yeah. from there. Yeah, and then I just started looking into roasters and, and trying to find uh, uh, something that would work financially for us because that is the big jump, right? To go from the small, just roasting your kitchen to like having uh, you know, a big roaster. Our, ours is a five kg roaster and it has to be have, have exhaust out and it runs on natural gas as well. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess, I just wanted to take it to the next level and jump. I don't know if they're like, after that, it was just, just kind of let's, let's give this a go and, and, and make this uh, investment. Um, and, and, go and you found a nice refurbished roaster as well. Yeah. So it was working Montreal. With, yeah. Uh, a company out of Montreal and they refurbished roasters and it was a, a good price, a fair price. And so I was like, okay, I can work with this. And um, so originally we did want to start a cafe with the roastery um, to have a, you know, a spot that really cultivated community and but at the start it was just a bit too much investment to, to begin with because the roaster is quite expensive and then I also wanted to have espresso and uh, some other things and those machinery are a bit ex- expensive so I thought let's mm-hmm. just scale down we'll start with roasting and I'll hone my skills in there and then hopefully in the future we can expand yeah and then and I mean COVID happened so like starting a cafe didn't really uh yeah that- that wasn't working but you know we're our friends at four degrees brewery were really kind to uh, invite us to use their space and put our roaster in their space and have been really great really great support for us and having us in their in their 
brewing space and it's kind of fun yeah. to have the coffee and the beer side by side mm -hmm. and some good mm -hmm. synergy with like the the craft uh creating happening in that space yeah both businesses are kind of in the uh in the business of <laughs> disrupting that that chain that like large uh commodity of uh of commodity beer commodity coffee and so it just kind of it fits mm -hmm. in there you know and then supporting mm -hmm. community so on our pal Andrew asked if we'd be interested in putting the roaster there. And yeah, we were like, yeah, this is great. And yeah, it's, it's been pretty, going pretty well so far. Awesome. That sounds like a great start. How, how has it been received? So how long have you been in operation there and how, how has it been received? About one year. So I did our first roast uh, in June last year. Uh, and the, uh, the roaster arrived in when did it arrive? Early April, Joe? Something like that? No, the roaster or, arrived on March 17th, March, right, which March was 17th. the Monday. I think Perfect it was the Monday. Timing. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it was supposed to arrive like late January and then it was delayed and delayed and delayed. And then it arrived like that first yeah. week of when we were, you know, going to take a couple of weeks off and stay at home for two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, we weren't able to get it kind of installed and hooked up until later May. So I think our first roast was on June 3rd of 2020. Yeah. So since, since June, it's been going pretty well. We have like a lot of, a lot of good, a lot of good community support and a lot of great reviews as well. Um, of course, like there are struggles and we are kind of growing at a, a pace that is sustainable and, and uh, in, in the current climate. So, I mean, um, there's, there's struggles, but yeah, we're still here and um, we're still roasting coffee. And, you know, mm -hmm. it looks good for the, for the future as well, you know, and just, we're mm -hmm. having a little more outreach and our different media platforms and, you know, little more sales here and there. So it's just growing it bit by bit and uh, sustainably. Mm. I think engaging or starting out in a, a business I mean, I know you started prior to the pandemic, but really getting your business up and running during a pandemic is, I think it is, is a reflection of, about each of you and your company and the tenacity and just also the passion and the vision you have. Wow. That's it. That's not easy in a pandemic. So that's, yeah, I will, the silver I will. lining, if we can make it work now, then it's probably mm -hmm. going to work later. Yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know about anybody else listening, but I think I'm drinking more coffee during the pandemic you know I'm perhaps yeah I I there are lots of reasons maybe for that and I'm making I make good coffee at home I make your coffee at home now and um and so I think I'm just consuming it more because I'm I'm at a place where I can make it you know when I when I go to certain workplaces in the past the coffee's kind of lousy right and I may be not that motivated to drink as much of it so mm -hmm. thank you for fueling my pandemic <laughs> <laughs> I know that I'm definitely drinking more coffee at home these days, but I think it's because we, we own a coffee roastery and, you know, someone needs to taste test the different roasts when they come in. So, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, that's a job that I can do for mm -hmm. sure. Play the role of quality, uh, quality, assurance. quality control, quality control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what do you guys, maybe as before we, we just kind of head into our, the final kind of question we ask everybody, tell us what your favorite coffee drinks are. What, what do you guys like to drink or maybe what roast you're liking now or what, what you're, I know Jared, you talked about espresso mm -hmm. earlier. What, what do you like to drink and yeah. what advice would you give for people who are 
you know, just stick into their regular cup every day? How can they branch out? So lots of questions there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's one at a time. Bat them down. Uh, so I love espresso. I that's my favorite. Um, I like an espresso shot, uh, but then I like to add a little bit of water to it. Uh, so like, you know, equal parts water, equal parts espresso. So it's still a very strong coffee, but just diluted mm -hmm. a bit. So that's my go-to. And mm -hmm. Josie's is a latte in the morning, <laughs> which yeah, I make morning, generally. Morning latte made by Jared. Yeah, <laughs> very good. He's the morning person. I'm not so much a morning person. <laughs> uh, and then in terms of what we've been drinking lately, uh, well, right now, uh, the coffee I had today is the Ethiopian micro lot uh, from the Yirgacheff region, from uh, a renowned washing station, uh, specifically in the Koke region in Yirgacheff. And this particular washing station, they make prize-winning coffees, which is really great. But then the one that I was drinking today is a, a honeyed processed coffee, which mm -hmm. is a slightly different process. So as Everyone knows the coffee comes in a little cherry and then there's that fruit around it. And then we drink the bean and we crush up the bean after. Um, but there's a couple different ways that that coffee bean is processed. Uh, the most common way is washed. So they use water to, to rinse away the, the coffee. Uh, another way is a natural process where they dry them on raised beds and then they um, allow the fruit to kind of uh, come off it naturally and there's a little bit of fermentation that goes on there and then a lot more hand sorting so generally farms who have a little less um a uh, little less money they won't they won't, won't be able to invest in a washing station uh so they'll do it uh and natural but so people generally say that the washed beans have more of a clear taste and uh, easier to, to find those specific characteristics and sometimes the naturals create a little more of a, a muddled taste but there's real beauty in those as well. And so the honey process is a kind of like a hybrid of those two where it allows for, it does some partial washing and then allows for fermentation after the fact. And mm. what creates from there, you get like these citrusy kind of uh, notes that come out in the coffee from the, the anaerobic process. And it, it creates a really interesting cup mm. that's not so, it's a kind of a newer thing that farmers are working mm. with. Um, but it's really unique. And so that was the coffee I was drinking this morning. Um, but uh, yeah, just fantastic. Mm. And light roast yeah. as well, generally lighter. Oh, roast. that sounds really good. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say, I'm really, I'm really digging yeah. the lighter roasts yeah. right now. And so for, for us, I mean, I've been drinking what we call the sunshine roast, but it's a bean from Burundi that's imported by Izere Coffee, which is an Ottawa a woman-owned coffee importer, and they also employ a lot of women um, in Burundi in the leadership of their facilities and operations in Burundi as well. So, um, I mean, I really, as like a feminist geographer scholar, like I'm really into like the women-owned entrepreneurship. And uh, so that's that's a good message, but I think there's also maybe part of that. I, I don't know so much about like the, the coffee processing that Jared just spoke to, but I think there's like a double wash, double fermenting with, with this bean that we have for the sunshine Burundi roast. But I really like, I'm into the light roast. We also had a really good light roast from um, the artery coffee roasters. They're uh, sort of a, a, a sister business, a friend business uh, that's doing a similar thing to us. And they're there in the Ottawa area. Um, but they, they gave us uh, what was that? The, what was the roast, Jared, that we had? Oh, that was the pink barrel blend. Pink uh, barrel blend. That was a nice yeah. light roast as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
and that one was mm-hmm. used had the blue of the anaerobic process as well uh in it and so those those coffees are cool that's kind of like a newer thing that's coming in the coffee world is branching out just from the washed uh, uh types of coffees and then going to some different processing um, because you can depending and everyone's everywhere is different right like because of climate and uh and and uh the the natural soil and, and you know just all that environmental differences the um every place is different so Josie mentioned the Burundi one that is the double washed and so that's common in Burundi and Rwanda but you know it's not common in Honduras uh, you know so mm. when you get a Honduras mm. coffee it's going to taste a little bit different you know the processing is different so that's one thing I love too like when we started the business we wanted to have kind of coffees from all over the world so people could have a little bit of variety and, and taste that and We've mostly done that. We don't have anything from Southeast Asia yet. Uh, yeah, it's anything from Java or you know Indonesia. That'll hopefully hmm. coming. Hmm. Very good. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have Fascinating. One, one question about the roast. Just, this is something people have argued me on in the past. Yeah. Does lighter roast mean greater caffeine content? No. Is that true? Oh. <laughs> That is not true. It is a common, it is a common misconception. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, but it, it's, it's all, it is actually, it is true um, because, but it's, but it's negligible. So mm. the reason for it is that light roast beans are more dense than dark roast beans. So when you have, if you measure your coffee out um, in volume, like not by mass, if you take a tablespoon of light roast the tablespoon of light roast is going to have more coffee than the tablespoon of dark roast. Um, and so therefore it's going to have more caffeine technically. Oh, I see. Um, but if you it's weigh not it. Much. But yeah. if you weigh it and you did them both, then actually I think the dark roast would have more caffeine. Um, then there's a reason for that too. Like, I think there's just, I think there's more caffeine in that one because uh, there's more beans in it because it, it's broke down more. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's more, so you kind of, so the dark roast actually has more caffeine technically than a light roast um, by mass. But once again, it's, it's negligible. It's, it's very little. The light roast might feel a little more bright because there is a little more acidity. And so that brightness might make people feel a little more up or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. that's the reason, but yeah, there's no, mm-hmm. there is no, uh, there's no difference really. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Thank you. Arguments settled, Lillian. Your, mm-hmm. your friends listening to the podcast. So <laughs> I like light roast too, um, but I was under the impression that there was more caffeine in them. So now, yeah, I'm- in the light roasts, you can taste uh, the qualities of the bean. You know, the the commodity coffee people they'll they roast it super dark because you can get uh, charred flavors out of any bean, like a charred flavor, charred flavor. Um, I don't eat beef, but I a nice. Uh, comparison is like with steak so like when you have cooked steak really well you sear on both sides in medium rare in the middle or rare depending on what you like and that's where you get the most flavors you wouldn't buy a really nice steak and just like cook it all the way through you know that doesn't and it's the same with the beans you have to take the care and and then allow the bean to show you what uh, what it's got and that's my job as a roaster just to try and bring out what's already there there's not a whole lot I can kind of modulate with the flavor in the roasting process. There's a little bit, 
but it really comes down to like the bean itself and the, and the farmers who put in the work on it. So yeah, we want to part of my job as, mm. as I was say, that's part of my job as the, the taster of the coffee or one of the tasters is that we, we, when we get a new bean, we, uh, Jared roasts it up a few different ways and we test it and taste it and see, see what we like and what, what really is kind of highlighting those, those subtle, like more subtle qualities and taste in, in each bean and decide on that for, for that particular bean mm. or roast. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love that, that idea of letting the bean show you, you know, that's, that's, that's really cool. Letting, letting it come out naturally. Um, oh, there's so much, so much more I want to ask, but I think we'll maybe ask you our kind of question we ask all our guests at this point about just about wellness. I know you both use the word disruption a lot and certainly that's <laughs> one of the one of the things we like to, that's our podcast, you know, disrupting what it means to be well and hopefully doing that for people. But I'd like to hear from each of you, what does wellness, what does wellness mean to each of you or collectively as your company? I'm not sure how you want to tackle that question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like, I like the question because wellness and I would say well-being is a, is fundamentally a relational concept like it depends on the context of our lives our experiences and it always means different things to different people so it's a great way to frame a conversation about about these kinds of things based on that sort of relational understanding of wellness um, I mean returning to some of the themes we talked about earlier I would sort of say that for myself or for both of us I think and for the business wellness has to be situated within the structural context um, in which we live. So our capitalist economy, the ne neoliberal governance or political structures, and also the communities and places, uh, environments in which we live. And so I think that our understanding of wellness and you know, the consum our consumption of products and things that make us feel well here in the global north, especially you know, as white middle-class uh, people who have relative privilege, um, wellness is sort of unevenly distributed within these systems and that's within the world and within our even Canadian or Ontario society. So from this broader level, um, wellness is predicated on like environmental and social exploitations or so for me to feel well, there are, you know, experiences of ill being or destruction or suffering in other places. Mm -hmm. So I would say that well, like, I think for a lot of things that we say with our business, like things are structural, things are political. So wellness and coffee are political things and that we as a business and as consumers are implicated in these, these production networks that underlie our experiences and our abilities to feel well and that privilege that we have. So again, like as a business, we, we are trying to reduce our impacts um, on environments, on people and our lifestyles and our business. Um, Mm. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> it's get a little wordy there, but mm -hmm. um, and then I also I think love that it. Like, <laughs> place is really important as well. Um, mm. It's a foundation to our well-being, and so that's place is like as a social thing in terms of our community, but also like the land and environment in which we live in and have a connection to and respect for. Um, so maybe Jared, I don't know if you have anything to say. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Yeah, that that stuff's you know big. That's level. the structural side, but the the grounded Macro. material side. <laughs> yeah, and so you know, so we we try and have these ideals, of course, you know, and live um, 
that bodhisattva way of life, you know, so trying to make the world better for everybody. And because, uh, you know, we're not truly going to be happy until we realize that everyone's part of, you know, we're all one in this whole thing. You know what I mean? Everyone looks safe for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, on the scale, you know, every day, I, I love to just do yoga and that that's a big part of my wellness. Um, so, you know, Hatha yoga specifically, um, the, the breathing exercises and awesome, uh, the postures. And that part really helps me. It just kind of gives me methods to, to, you know, continue to engage with the world and to make sure that I'm at my best as well on a, you know, from a physical standpoint and staying healthy. So that's the work that I do to, to stay well and to, and to, to yeah. spread those practices to other people as well. Because mm-hmm. um, there's so much traditional knowledge within yoga uh, and there's a lot of ideas. And I think we can use a lot of that stuff and implement them uh, today. Uh, we live in a, in a society and our, our medical system underfunded we, we see that and it's really based on pathology you know making people better from what their problem is and but i see yoga as it makes you better you know even though you're good it, it, it just it does there's practices that enhance your life uh enhance your physical and mental well-being it's, it's, it's all connected so to using those practices really really help mm-hmm. me and uh, continue to to feel well and there's mm-hmm. days uh, sometimes even weeks where I don't practice as much and you know it's tangible I, I can feel it so and just don't forget about your cold dips yeah cold you know I, I, I'm always exploring cold water yeah I'm always exploring <laughs> wellness so I'm not afraid to do weird stuff um, yeah. like like jump in the cold water uh, I was featured in a couple of news uh, platforms earlier on in the winter <laughs> for that for, for going in in the cold water and uh you know, playing around with some of the Wim Hof techniques. Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's so much synergy between uh, Wim Hof's techniques and, and yoga. Uh, so I was already doing a lot of um, breath work before I had I found him. So I really appreciated his approach to it. And he's rooted in yoga as well. Uh, and he is very clear on that as well. But he teaches a kind of a non-yogic approach. It's, you know, open to everybody. It's it's not really, it's the, you know, universal, um, non-dogmatic, I guess you could say. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's wellness for me. Uh, thinking about big yeah, things, think, doing small things. <laughs> yeah. And I think too, uh, I don't know, maybe Jared wants to expand on this as well, but for us, like after living on the road, like in tree planting camps and we kind of lived all around the world and like my, my research and Jared's studies were in India for, for several years so we've been sort of on the road and living all over the place. And so moving to Smith Falls, which is Jared's hometown, Jared grew up there, um, and becoming part of a community and, and you know, working with other businesses and with friends that live in our neighborhood. Like, I think that like actually like get, get being rooted somewhere and being grounded somewhere and having that those social uh interactions in the in the community has been really uh foundational to our well-being as well and i think even with like the pandemic and the effects on on mental health and physical health like having sort of the small our small town lifestyle the natural beauty of smith falls like right on the canal with all the trails and parks and then having like a pretty vibrant community of of friends and um, businesses 
has been really uh, has been really great, I think, for for well being for us. So that that whole sense of place and the social connections and community um, are very, I think, for us as individuals, but then also for our business, has been really uh, important. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, what a great answer! What a great, you know, robust kind of look at wellness from lots of different perspectives I really it's a multi-scaler perspective from yeah. the structural to the I love embodied. it I love yeah. it I think you, absolutely always, yeah we're always viewing the world right through lenses and uh one of the teachers that I love to listen to uh Ram Das, he talks about you know do, going to different television channels and you can you know go look it through the you know your business or you can look through you know the physical sort of uh, lens or you can look through, you know, anything. And so we have this really narrow sort of spectrum with our senses and we just kind of have to know that there's a lot of stuff going on and trying to hold it all. And we do have that capacity, you know, within us, we can, we can understand, uh, a lot, even though we don't really, even though if we can't explain it, you know, you intuitively know things are, we have that capability, that connection with, with each other and with our natural surroundings, mm-hmm. just holding that and, and trying to keep learning about uh, all, all everything mm. really helps wellness as well I mm. the staying engaged with with Absolutely. your environment i'm sure after hearing this podcast if people don't already know about you they would like to find out more about your company how how would you direct them to do that you can check out our website that's mightyvalleycoffee.com and uh, there there's a list of different places you can buy and you can buy on our website as well. And we do free delivery in the Smith Falls area, uh, free delivery in Ottawa on Fridays. And uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find a little Social bit more. media. Social media, of course, Social- Instagram, Facebook. I think it's at Mighty Valley Coffee on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so much to each of you for taking the time to, you know, tell us. It's a fascinating story of your business's evolution and, you know, the passion that each of you you bring to to the work that you do and yeah just it's it's more than coffee you know there's more to it than just coffee which is very cool yeah indeed thanks for your time and thank uh, you so much we uh yeah we wish you the best of luck in your business and we hope that you both stay well thank you thank you very much you too yeah take care Bend the Podcast is a production of Bend Wellness. For more information, check out our website, bendwellness.org. Thanks for listening.